Hey there, Cosmic Crystals. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. Sing it. I'm one of your hosts, Angel. And I'm your other host, Brandon. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Because we're explorers without a destination. Quick explorers. Quick explorers? Oh, queer explorers. Quadventurers. Queer everything. Queer everything. Yes. Here to queer your ears right now. And your spirits. Yes. And uh, who are we, may I ask, in case you don't know? Well, I'm Brandon Alter. I'm a spiritual healer, an astrologer, a tarot reader, I'm a writer and a performer, and I'm your husband. You are. And it's almost our five-year wedding anniversary. Oh my gosh, yeah. And 11 years together. I know, right? It's wild. Cycles. I'm in a cycle. Yeah, I admit it. What? How can I change it if I don't know that I'm in it? That's truth. Uh, Who are you? I'm Angel Lopez. I am a writer and a practitioner of astrologies. I produce films at times. And I'm uh, a teacher, a healer, a queeler, and your husband. Hey! That's me. I mean, can you believe we've been together for almost 11 years? Um, I can. (laughs) <laughs> is that <shade>? no <laughs> is it's that not shade? shade no i mean i feel like yeah it um doesn't seem crazy to me just like you know we had we were at dinner last night with some friends um celebrating um actually celebrating the birthday of one of the people who introduced us to each other from my side introduced me to you and um as we were driving home last night, we were talking about just like the familiarity, you know, it was just like a tiny little group of people and I'm um, just talking about like the familiarity of that group and just like, and just how like easy it was and how nice and comfortable. I mean, we ended up having a four hour dinner and, um, and I feel like that it's the kind of familiarity that comes with like family who like to be together. Yeah. You know, people who've been through a lot, a lot of, of experiences life. together. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of life together. The highs, the lows, and the in-betweens. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Even though, like, to think back, you know, like, we were there with our gorgeous friend Tamar, and, like, to think back on the time we all went to Coachella together, and, like, <laughs> we're in uh, a house together and like i think like doing yoga in the backyard of this house we'd rented together before oh going God. to I like totally forgot about that trip to the the polo field or whatever you know um together like i mean that was gosh eight years ago probably well and like such different iterations of us too yeah i was a kanye big kanye west fan back then very different version of me. Very different. <laughs> I was like, God, he just is so, this guy is like, just doesn't understand the brilliance of Kanye. <laughs> I remember like having that thought. And look, by the, and there is a brilliance to Kanye's creativity. And yet I was also ahead of my time. You were. As I always am as an Aquarius. I mean, I, that, that's like one of my clearest memories of that Coachella. It was me and Julie, like, Fully like watching and Kanye's performance was pretty amazing. He had like ballerinas, like it was a whole thing. And you and, and she and I watching it and like looking back to you and Matt, like 
just on the sitting on the grass, so bored. Like, can we go? <laughs> I remember that moment very well. Oh, so good. But anyhow, I feel the familiarity, um, and not like familiar in the sense of like tired, but like familiarity. I should say. Yeah, the comfort of being yourself among people who embrace you for who you are. Yeah, and I've never been more comfortable with myself in front of another human being than you. Oh, babe. Which then is a gift that everyone who listens to this <laughs> podcast gets to receive. I know, I it's true. Whether you care or not. Hey. Hi. Should we do a little check-in? Sure, yeah, yeah. Do you want to go first? Do you want to check in first? Um, sure, I can do that. I'm doing pretty well, I'd say, <laughs> you know, uh, given all things. I feel really um, just kind of in my life right now. Like I feel really, really present to my life. I have a lot going on with work. I'm, I have a couple writing projects that are very active right now. I have a movie I'm producing that's very active. Obviously, all of our spiritual gaze work is very active. And I was in this like place of like overwhelm where I just felt like every day I was like, oh my God, now I got to bounce to this thing. Now I got to bounce to this thing. Um, and starting to like stress myself out. And I realized that that was just like an old anxiety response for myself in some ways, like this sense of like overwhelm and like just this, like, it was almost like a, um, a resistance tool, you know, like, let me just get stuck in the story of feeling overwhelmed um, so that I can ultimately like spend 25 minutes like sitting in that space and finding like procrastination tools or like um, distraction tools to help me ease through that as opposed to like yes I can recognize that this is overwhelming for me or that this is stressful for me it's a lot but really what just been continuing my whole process of like okay but what's really underneath this why are you really feeling overwhelmed like, is, are you really feeling overwhelmed? Or are you just afraid of, of all of these different projects? Like, are you really just afraid to like give yourself over to this writing project? Because ultimately it's you putting yourself out there as a writer and having to share your ideas and your voice with others. Um, and is that, is that what is really overwhelming? You know, not the amount of work and grant. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but people do a lot of work and they just do it, you know? So anyhow, that's something that I feel like I've been like uh, coming to terms with and accepting more. And now I just like feel more in the work. I'm still allowing myself to like fall into like YouTube traps every now and then just to like distract myself. Well, you wouldn't be you if you didn't allow that. <laughs> if I didn't watch like best actress acceptance speeches from the 1980s you know, ultimately, like I pull myself back and I've just been like plugging more into the work and just trying to like find joy in it. Cause I think that's something too, that is like new ish to me again. It's like, I don't even think I like recognize that just in the last like year and a half, two years, even through like kind of the fuse lit with us starting to teach our courses last year of like, Oh, I have joy in work again. And now like learning to apply that into all the other types of work that I'm doing of like, Oh, let me be enjoy in this. So 
I don't know. Just some things that have been bouncing around my brain. Yeah, I think those are great things to share. What about you? I mean, not to be too basic, but I'm also doing well. I really appreciate Mercury's directness. I appreciate Mars and Scorpio. I'm like getting a lot done, but getting things done that matter, like the spirit studio um, is open and I'm excited to start teaching people some Pilates, but like my own way and kind of inviting people to the land and just like getting a physical space in order actually has been really meaningful for me. And like every morning I open up the garage door and I like sweep the leaves out and I just like feel very connected to like that space. It's been very cool. And also just like having a Pilates reformer in a chair has been amazing for me to like get back into my body. And there's like such a healing there that like I've needed. So that's definitely, I think been very instrumental in just like allowing me to, you know, be, productive but in good ways like i'm so excited that um that we've created the first round of spiritual gaze merch y'all like we um have some samples coming to us hopefully like in a week or so so we can make sure that like it's good quality and i fell down a bunch of rabbit holes making sure that it's like sustainable and we're not using like you know sweatshop products and things of that nature because that would not be very spiritual gaze even though it would be cheap and easy but that's not the route we're going um no. but and we just, tried to make sure that everything is key well that is a uh, yeah you know you know, goes without saying. But, you know, it's something we've talked about for a really long time. And just the fact that, like, we were able to just, like, pull the trigger and do it. You know, there's been a lot of these things that I've been talking about for a long time. And I'm just starting to do it. Like, I've been taking these piano lessons for a couple of months. And I finally just, like, started practicing and, like, actually writing some songs. And it's just like, okay, like, things are moving forwards for myself. And that's actually a really important distinction that I'm making is feeling forward momentum, not from an external point of view, like, oh, you're being noticed or awarded or received, but more like I'm feeling like I'm moving forwards and that feels good. Well, I'm grateful to, to watch you, to be an observer of your movement. Yeah, because I'm not like living my sad girl cancer season life. It's all right. Everyone needed to have that. Girl, it was sad. <laughs> it's very sad and yet somehow not sad enough <laughs> we were talking in tarot class about the five of cups and like how it's kind of the like crying on the bathroom floor card mm -hmm. and i was just thinking like i have not cried on the bathroom floor in a really long time and i i think i need to oh wow but i can't just like choose to go do that the way you can like i feel like you could like put on like two bjork songs and you could be like crying on the bathroom floor or tori Amo songs or Whoever makes you got cry. a new album. I really just want to have that moment, actually. But I yeah. can't. But just FYI, if all of a sudden I just like start to get emotional and disappear, it's because I'm taking that opportunity to go cry on the bathroom floor. Well, I again will be grateful to be an observer. <laughs> just stand there at the bathroom Shady. door, Shady Queen, eating snacks, watching you cry. Just kidding. Um, all right. Well, we have an amazing spirit talk with Gazer and Virgo icon Laura Campbell. Ow, ow. And we just want to get into it because it's a really incredible conversation and we didn't want to edit it down too much because frankly, everything in there was just fucking conversation gold. So we're just going to do a real brief dose, dose of, of reality. reality. It's basically a microdose. You're going to microdose the housewives. Yeah, because you can still get through your day. You know, it's not a full dosage. No, but it just makes things just brighter. Laid out Funnier. on the couch. Yeah, exactly. More connected. The colors are vivid. So we are almost done. Honestly, thank the goddess with this season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. There's just one more part of the reunion, and then I'll be ready to take a break, honestly. But the saga of Erica Jane continues. 
But we don't know what she has done. We don't know what she will do. We're just going to have to... What will she do? We're just going to have to wait and see. (laughs) You know, look, at the end of the day, conflict reveals character. Who you are gets shown when you're in a tight spot. That's just the truth of, of human nature. It's also the truth of drama, which is why you go and see a movie of people in crisis. You don't just like see a movie of people just like playing Scrabble on a Tuesday night because who you really are comes out in the crisis. So regardless of what Erica knew, regardless of how involved or not involved she was, her character has been revealed in this time of crisis, and that character is not cute. I know we were talking actually about this in class, and we were talking about, I think... Uh, about how she there's so such a cancer energy to her that comes out because oh the whole idea of someone being a shell of themselves oh yeah right cancer the crab the shell it really came must have been about a cancer right because yeah you are just kind of left as the shell as opposed to all of the vulnerability that's underneath it and i feel like yeah she's just kind of expressed herself a bit of a shell a shell with like some sharp edges Yeah. Because she's just lashing out. And look, who knows what this experience would be like, like to have your entire life just kind of like ripped out from under you. I could never even imagine. Yeah, in a very public way um, would be really destructive to you, I think. So it would bring out the worst in you. But I think your life is defined by the way that you treat other people and the way that she's treated other people is abysmal. Abysmal. There's just a lot of hypocrisy Just even in her saying, well, all you just needed to do was come and ask me a question, come and talk to me. But then the second someone kind of leans in and says something, then they immediately get their head bitten off. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you say that's what you would have wanted, but that's not really what you've shown. And so where's the reality here? You know, so I guess I'll be interested to see how it continues to play out in the next season. But as you said, I'm also really ready for a break i'm worn out (laughs) but just so you think we're not you know housewife centric over here we've also been watching rupaul's drag race uk UK. season three they just did the snatch game which is always a little strange when you watch snatch game in another country because they're doing a lot of people that like you don't know you know like they're impersonating celebrities from like that particular part of the world and they're very specific and i don't know i didn't know most i mean I, i know um who's the cooking lady Nigella Lawson. Uh, yeah, I know her, but that was about it. Yeah, for any of our UK listeners out there. Apologies that we don't yeah, know your culture. Would be interested to hear your take on it if you watch. Um, but yeah, but it was still really entertaining. Oh my God, for sure. And I do love those UK queens. Me too. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Did you see that they just announced Drag Race Italia? No, that'll be gorgeous. Yeah. Oh my God, those Italian queens are going to be out of control. Yeah. Who's and hosting it's only it? eight, so... It won't be too long. And the host is, I don't remember her name, but a queen. Amazing. An Italian queen. Love it. Also, shout out to Tia Coffey, who was a uh, Drag Race <laughs> contestant on UK season two, who has an EP out that is honestly, I think, the best music to come out of a RuPaul's Drag Race queen. I'm going to second that. Yeah, like it's really good and I play it all the time. Yeah. And Angel was really upset that when I gave him a Pilates lesson the other day, it took like 40 minutes for a tea coffee song to come on. I mean, you know, your audience. I know. Well, then I, I made amends. <laughs> it came did. on within like the first 10 minutes last time. You did. Yes. So check out Tia Coffee, spelled T-I-A-K-O-F-I. 
I want tea coffee on the spiritual gaze podcast. Wouldn't that I be amazing? Mean, that would be amazing. All right. We're going to make that happen. Tea coffee. Come on the show. Tea coffee. We love you. Um, all right, everybody, let's just get cozy with this episode's Spirit, Spirit Talk. Y'all, we are feeling truly blessed, not just hashtag blessed, truly blessed to have Gazer Laura Campbell in the spirit room with us here today. We're actually recording on Halloween, also known as Samhain, so it feels like a very special day. Um, and Laura is a queer witch, an East Coaster, a Newfoundlander, a writer, creative filmmaker, human in the world, trying to decolonize as much as possible through learning from those who know better. And I think those are all beautiful things to be and to claim. So welcome to the spirit welcome. room, my love. Thank you. So nice to be here. Did I say that right? Newfoundlander? We're close. It's fine. No, I want to know how to say it right. <laughs> like understand. So you're like a Newfoundlander. Newfoundlander. Okay. So it's not found, it's fund. Exactly. Newfoundland. Newfoundlander. Newfoundlander. So just know everybody, that's how you say it. Okay. <laughs> Um, I just want to also say that the moon is in Virgo today, and we refer to Laura as a Virgo icon because they have four planets in Virgo, if I'm not mistaken. Can I share the specificity of your Virgo placements? Of course. Laura has sun conjunct Mercury in Virgo, and then moon conjunct Venus in Virgo, which is truly gorgeous. And everybody answers to that empowered Mercury, albeit retrograde. Yeah, how does that play out for you? I've always felt very clear in how I communicate. You know, I, my, one of my jokes is like, no one has ever said to themselves, I wonder what Laura Campbell means. <laughs> in my life. Love that. Right? Like, I think that it's, um, it offers me a real clarity of vision. It also offers a lot of chatter, a lot of worries, a lot of, you know, the things that Virgo also brings. But... I've always, um, and the caretaking and the acts of service has always come easily and been um, the priority. Well, and we've had the opportunity of getting to know you, I feel like really well this year, thanks, thankfully to all of your fantastic communication skills, um, because we've had you in a lot of our courses and um, you know, especially over these last 18 months, it feels like everyone who was in our courses like became our family in some ways to help us get through this. And you were just such a shining light for us in all, in all of our work in the last like 18 months or so. Um, and obviously like you present yourself as having such a like deep connection to all like spiritual practices or deep, you know, um, I want to say like thirst <laughs> in the quest <laughs> and in, and, and in actual practice. Um, so let's just like take this into like, how does that, has that always been, I guess I should ask, has that always been a part of you from the beginning of your life? Or has there always been a spiritual sensibility? I mean, growing up in Newfoundland, it really is a magical space because you're so, you know, I grew up with a river in my backyard in the woods. Like we grew up really close to nature. 
without kind of understanding how special that was. And, you know, I was always talking to rivers or just a weird kid. I was definitely an absolute weird kid. Like I remember being 12 and like feeling like I could talk to pigeons and definitely saying that to my classmates and then being like, hmm, you're nuts. And I'm like, no, I think I know what those pigeons want. So I've certainly always been, you know, a little, little off center, let's say, um, and felt very deeply connected to spirit. Newfoundland is a very uh, Christian space, very like highly, like um, Catholicism plays out a huge role. And, and even until I was 14, our school system was segregated um, into like Catholic oh, wow. and Anglican. Yeah, it played a huge part. And while I didn't grow up religious, my parents certainly did and their parents certainly did. So there was no real space for spiritualism, but, and we didn't talk about beliefs. My father certainly uh, was, he would call it the supernatural, anything that had to do with like spirit, he would call the supernatural, um, which I always kind of loved. I actually think that kind of made me a witch because I was like, what is supernatural? Yeah, invited um, all of it in. <laughs> yeah. Like for him, the idea of God was just as um, preposterous as witches, which actually for me made them kind of closer. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, you know, I started, I got my first tarot deck at like 16. At 14, I was, I was into astrology and just like my poor mother would like have guests over and I would like be guessing their sun signs, you know, and it would be like, Laura, shut it down. I'd be like, you're a Scorpio. <laughs> And I would be, and I would be correct more often than not. And so I just always kind of loved it. And then in my twenties, I think, you know, your twenties happen, you go to university, you fall in love for me, you find metal bands or whatever your trajectory <laughs> would be. And uh, then when in my late twenties, when I, once I moved to Toronto, I really refound it again. Um, and it was very much so like riding a bicycle and it just kind of all came back. And now with more of a I think before it was kind of about learning a modality, like almost learning, let's say the textbook part. And then by the time my late twenties came around Saturn return, it was much more about integrating the spiritual element of that and incorporate it into my day-to-day life. So what did that look like for you? You know, for me, it really is physical practices. I have a very, uh, routine, you know, I get up every day. I do morning pages every day from like the Julia Cameron school of the artist way. Um, I have ritual baths every couple of days, if not daily. Um, and there's crystals there. I call in the spirits often. Um, I, I do practices from a Celtic, um, witchcraft perspective. And so I, um, the Sabbaths are very important to me. And, um, so like today, uh, I found myself awoken at three, uh, and was like, Oh, the witching hour. And just oh, like, wow. got up, did a journey, did a couple of different things. Um, for me, it's a very embodied practice and holding that space. I think for me, it really is about the grounding and meeting something where it's at is, is kind of most of my work these days is figuring out what that means and just kind of being open to it. But yeah, it's certainly, it's a lot of physical, you know, there's crystals. It's very, it's very um, tactile, my, my um, process. Right. Which makes sense with all your Virgo placements. But I was thinking about you and Virgo moons and magic. And I was thinking how there's something about the sign of Virgo that knows how to like call forth or coax the magic 
out from the physical things, like knows how to like whisper to the plants or the stones, or as you talk about, like to the river or the pigeons and is able to like, almost like pull out that thread of, of magic that other people may not know. It's like casting a spell. Like you need to have the exact, and that's the Virgo thing too, right? It's like, there's a reason behind the specificity and the order and the organization, because if you don't do it just right, you don't actually get what you're looking for. Do you feel like that's true and how your practices come to be? Yeah, I think so. And I think that to be soul-centered, you know, I've learned this a lot from our uh, our friend at uh, Cosmic Cousins, you know, like to go into the polarity, to go into the Pisces. I think it's very easy for me to get caught in, let's say, the ingredients or let's say the amounts, the specificity. And so I think there's a real letting go of that boundary as well, where over the last few years, it's been much more about what don't I know about? Or what if I didn't do, what if I did night pages instead of morning, you know, what mm. if I, um, yeah, what if my routine was changed? Am I still able to stay grounded and feel connected if I don't do the exact same thing? Yeah, that is interesting, right? Because the Pisces polarity would say, well, it's all magic. The magic is everywhere. That's right? it. And the Virgo's like, yeah, yeah. But like the magic we want only comes from this specific piece of and finding that balance that is really interesting yeah and especially I like I work with the moons as well right so it's that thing of like okay well on the Leo new moon it's this 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 and it's like you can tap into that anytime I'm like yeah especially how do we really walk that line between you know and I won't go too far into like capitalism but it is right it's like the commodification of the creation of the the receiving of how yeah. do I walk the line between all or nothing or creating and receiving yeah, well, no, and let's let's go there because I do think that like a picture of a crystal mm -hmm. is just as is just as valuable as a crystal itself. Hundred percent. And so we don't actually need the thing. Maybe the, maybe having the thing feels like a shortcut. Maybe it's just like easier for our mind, right? It's like oh, the thing's here, so I can connect with it. When the truth is, you're right. Like the Leo Moon exists in the past and it exists in the future, so we can reach across time and grab a hold of it but for whatever reason when it's actually the leo moon in real time we feel like now i can access this right. energy right like you know on Samhain is when we all think about our ancestors it's when we think about the spirits it's when we think about them you know being very close to us and also transversing into the next phase for themselves that's all year especially eclipses <laughs> right? especially eclipses i would say more so than anything else and so i think it's so interesting how we as as sometimes linear beings want to put things in the finance boxes and Virgo is like, yes, please give me that spring, summer, fall. Like give me something to put into little boxes that I can check off a checklist. But I think the journey really is about, and I think this is really comes back to indigenous practices, right? This idea for me, decolonizing has so much to do with this idea of right or wrong, good or bad, yes or no, sacred or not sacred, right? And just kind of throwing it all off the side and saying, what are you talking about? It's all magic all the time. The skill is to dip in. The skill is sitting on a crowded subway and, and finding your heart amongst a sea of hundreds of people and feeling that for me, right? Like that's really what the 
to see to see the the true magic in every stone and in every leaf and in every and not just because that's nature but like to see it in a pen to see it in a lighter and i think i hope we're getting closer to that as as people i think we are i think so but i feel like yeah so many people are just challenged by a relationship with the invisible because of everything that's that that we have to unpack around that right that a lot of it does stem from very strict religious upbringings or ideologies of certain of you know different backgrounds or what have you and all of the baggage that comes with all those things so they'd it's like it's easier to just like be like ah it doesn't even exist or whatever but I love that you really had this like connection so early on or the beginnings of it so early on. Was there a point though where you did have to grapple at all with like, did that Virgo practicality grapple with like, or maybe this is all just. <laughs> I mean, the last few years. So when I met um, Love of My Life, Cade, a few years ago, you know, they were in recovery and recovery is such a magical place. And Brandon, we could talk about this for hours. I'm sure it's, it's, um, it's a unique place that requires acceptance and, and an acceptance of a higher power, especially if you go like the AA route. I've never seen anything like it. I've never witnessed anything like it. And so, you know, I was, I was witchy, but Cade was witchy, you know, like it was just their, their belief, their, their like unfathomable, like, just like, it'll work out whatever it's supposed to be, it's going to be, I trust in the universe. Like they just had such a strength of, of will and character in that way that it really, and this was right when we also started doing classes together was like right at the beginning of that relationship. And so I think between Kay's influence, your influence, COVID, everything else, it was just such a time of clarity for me that I feel like I had the building blocks and the internal space let's say, but without those things really falling into place, I can't imagine being where I am now in my practice. So I'm curious because you have a day job, you have work in the world, mm-hmm. you're you know, a filmmaker, a storyteller, a creative. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, how do you bring all of this that we're talking about I want to call you like the one who talks to rivers, right? Like, how do you bring the one who talks to rivers? The one who talks to pigeons. The one who talks to pigeons. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> to everything that you do in ordinary reality. How do you find that intersection? Because obviously creativity is spiritual, but it's not always treated that way. And, you know, it's, it's again, commodification and capitalism, right? Like when you're on a set, time is money. It's not always soulful. This is it. And Angel and I have certainly had this conversation as well a while ago because I was asking about this because um, I also produced primarily for 10 years. Like writing and directing is, is a later stage thing for me. So the numbers, the money, the time have, were really, especially as a Virgo, very natural to me. I think for me, it was the beauty is as I got closer to spirit over the years, it brought me some of the best, most incredible creatives out of Canada You know, I'm fortunate enough to be working with someone like R.T. Thorne, who's just a magical, special human who's made, you know, shows for Hulu now, um, just made another show with BET. And the closer I got to spirit and the closer I got to really being honest about who I am and, and, and with that, and I'm sure we'll chat about gender as well, like my gender journey within that as well. It just brought people closer to me that then would kind of almost 
feed me in a way that allowed me to become the person I am now. So over the last three years, producing has been less and less of interest. It's been less and less fulfilling. And it's not to say that I don't appreciate producing, but for so long, I thought my work had to be in supporting others as opposed to telling my own story. It took me a long time to feel worth in my own stories. Here, here. Yeah, right? You know that. Yeah. Yes. Like, and especially, once again, as a white person, as someone who like really wants to be supporting communities who have been marginalized and harmed for so long, who is a four-planet Virgo, who can convince these people to give them money, you know, and to do these programs, I felt the power that I held and I felt responsibility with that power. And I, I didn't understand how to use that best for myself. I'm still not super 100% clear, but I'm definitely getting clearer. And so I think that at this point in time, they're the same. Like I'm shadow directing on a show right now. And I'm definitely the weird witch on set who's just like joking about astrology, you know? Like people are like, oh, da 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, are you doing anything for like the Halloween episode? Like, what's, you know, people like ask me questions because um, my life is quite um, public and I've had two years of extreme surgeries and deaths and grief, and everyone knows. And the beautiful thing is, people will approach me on it because I'm so open. So here I am on set. And someone's like, how are you? Like, I heard you lost your spouse. And I'm like, yeah, it was hard. And so now we're having these like beautiful, intimate conversations that I can hold. And I just say like, are you, you're working right now. Or, you know, you're, you're first day seeing on a TV show. Do you want to have this conversation right now? Like, <laughs> right. you might not, you know, like I spend my life in this work, but, and like have training as a death doula, like I can hold this, but are you... I don't know. There's something a little magical about it. I must say, like, I, I leave set these days feeling more connected than I used to. It doesn't feel like the same work it used to. Oh, well, yeah, because you're more connected to yourself. Yeah. I remember Angel on set for his last film, and I forget who it was, but somebody said, like, oh, yeah, Angel's job is to bring the vibes. Yeah. <laughs> and I do think, I think all the time about this thing Nisi Nash said, um, the actress, Nisi Nash, she talks about how, and she's been working forever. And she says, like, I just like asked God to use me, just like use me, put me where I'm supposed to be. And I hear that in what you're saying, too, like the closer you got to spirit, the more you trusted, and then also found yourself in places where you could be used for the highest, best good. And it really comes down to that. I forget which chapter it is, but it's, you know, and I was talking to a friend about this recently, and this concept that we have of if I say, here are my feelings, and if I say my feelings, or if I say what I'm doing, that person might respond in these ways, so I'm not going to. And this idea that we are walking around living our lives based on what the reaction is going to be versus what we need to say, you know? And obviously that can be taken too far. Don't be a jerk. Of course. But this, this thing that happens where we, and I certainly lived a life of fitting myself to other people's expectations and boxes in fear of what the feedback would be if I was truly myself. And I did that for 32 years, you know? Um, and I always talk about like wiping away the mirror. As I wiped away the mirror over the years and I got clearer, other people got clearer on me. And so they could, um, I think the universe was able to kind of help me on the path a bit more. 
because I was clear on what that was. And they could, it was almost like I'm um, getting the clutter out of the way to get to me. Was there like a big, like sort of first mirror swipe moment that occurred <laughs> for you? Yeah, I um, I have deep, deep love for my bio fam. They are not able to meet me where I'm at in a lot of ways. And choosing to really leave that space, like truly put up some very large boundaries on communications and access about four years ago now, changed change my trajectory and changed my life. I stopped, I stopped trying to put a square in a circle or trying to be a square or a circle and just said, hey, I can't be the person I'm becoming and keep coming back to this ancestral home and playing the old roles and getting caught in the old stories. Like this doesn't serve anymore. And so taking, like we talk about when we do invocations, taking back the energy, like I truly just took it all back and said, I love you. Like you're amazing, incredible people in your own ways, but the harm that continues to unfold here, I, can, I can't be who I am and who I want to be and continue this pattern. That's brave. It's hard. Hardest thing I've ever done. Hardest thing I, and I continue to keep that space, you know, and it's still, um, once we make hard choices like that, like any choice, whether it be marriage, you know, to choose something or to choose to not do something, we choose it every day. You know, it's not something that happened four years ago. And then it was, cause then, um, you know, your father dies and your spouse dies and you have brain surgery and there are holes left from that space. The last two years for me has just been like, what now? <laughs> right. right? Like what's up next on the, holy shit, this is really hard. And, and uh, what tools do you have? And the tool belt feels very full right now in a good way, but I'm also a little drained, right? Like my, I always joke about, I'm like, I better have the next five years clear because whew, I've done my time. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about some of your tools because I know that you have been studying and really accepting the call of being a death doula. And mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty powerful tool. And I don't know how this folds in there, but also you're somebody who I think is very comfortable in the shadow realms and is able to acknowledge that work as well. So like I would say shadow work and death doula-ing, like those are two big tools that I see in you. Could you talk a little bit about one or both of them and how you've come to understand what they are and how to, how to use them in your life? Absolutely. Yeah. I think shadow work and being a death doula or end of life doula are so, I think for, for some people, for some people in the death doula world, it, it's the physical, it really is almost the virgin over a go, right? It really is. Um, there's some people who really lean towards the, let's say, um, biological element of it. And they're supporting people who are physically passing. Right. Um, and some of my educators definitely came from that school. And for me, it's certainly more of all of the above because I always say I became a death doula by experience and then I took a course, mm -hmm. right? Like you, mm -hmm. one does not experience the death of their father and then eight months later, the death of their spouse and then eight months later, brain surgery, you know, um, to remove a tumor and not be faced with death in so many ways and like really just to watch people pass, you know, and to go through all of those grieving processes. I was thinking about doing it. Kate and I were going to do it together, actually. Like I was called to the work when my father got sick. 
because people are really afraid. My family <laughs> did not do well. <laughs> it was not, and it's never easy, but it was, it was hard. And it was the fear around death is very, and it was very sudden. My father was diagnosed and passed five weeks later and we were all just really rocked from it. Um, and because of the disjointedness in my family, there's no, there's no order of operations, let's say. That made it really clear. And he was my best friend and my biggest fan. And, and because of my estrangement with them, they were very kind in giving me all the space I needed. But space to them meant uh, not just separation, but like I was alone. I was alone the whole time. Um, it was, we weren't sharing space together at all. And so I think for me, I just never wanted anyone to go through it that way. I never wanted anyone to sit next to their, like, if I didn't have a friend back in Toronto who I could call, I wouldn't have known how far he was in the death process. I wouldn't have known so many things. And I'm so grateful that they were a resource for me. They would eventually introduce me to Cade, which is wild. It was like Cade's cousin. And if it wasn't for a person who had gone through it, helping me through it. So it's almost like it's the paying it forward of the like emotional capacity. But I know it really helped my father to know that someone had like, I mean, he's a Virgo too, um, a plan or, you know, like he just needed to know that we would be okay. And I was able to kind of uh, offer that, I think that there was something there. And so from that, it just became, and then I met Cade, who was a paramedic and had seen so much death in their own life. Um, and that's how we really bonded. You know, we bonded over, like, oh man, things have been hard for you. Yeah, me too. Oh, we're both trans. Great. Like the depth of grief was easy for us. We weren't ashamed of it. We weren't embarrassed by it. We weren't controlled by it or ruled by it. Um, we weren't depressed by it. We just were two people in the world living our lives who were made better for it. And so we met and then we fell in love and then they got really, they were diagnosed and passed three weeks later during COVID. You know, my father was 79 when he passed and lived a long, full, gorgeous, amazing, incredible life. Kay was 43. So it's a whole other kettle of fish. It's a whole other ball game. It's COVID, their own family can't see them in hospital. Like it's hard. And if I hadn't, if I didn't have what I had gone through with my dad, I don't think I would have been able to hold it. You know, they looked at me when they were diagnosed four months into our relationship and said, you can leave. Like you, you just did this, you can. And I was like, yeah, that's not super. Like if you also, if you want me to go though, like if you don't want me to be this person, that's okay too. I was just put where I was supposed to be. Like you said, right? It's like, put me in coach. Like, I just think that this is exactly how it was supposed to go. My relationship with them was exactly what it was supposed to be. It polarized and crystallized and motivated me in ways that like, I don't think I would be otherwise. And so what I wanted to do is share it. I wanted to share that journey as trans people in the medical system. Awful. The experience every day in the hospital was hell. And not just from like being misgendered. I mean, like they thought Cade was a man half the time and was pres prescribing them the wrong thing. Like it was really tough. And so I had to advocate just as much as um, be present. And you've shared that you're writing a book about 
the specific experience of having trans grief. And so I'm curious, are there different types of grief? Do people experience grief differently? Why do you feel so compelled to speak out for your community in regards to this particular issue? Yeah, as someone now who's gone through grief as a trans child, as a trans partner, and then my own medical journey as a trans individual, you know, to be trans and go home for the death of your father where no one genders you correctly and no one knows you and sees you for who you are, it's very hard. It's very hard to be so vulnerable. I was the only child who spoke at my father's funeral, so I had to represent us all. That was really hard. Yeah. And you're going to your homeland. You're going, you know, there's, and like when we're queer people, our home isn't always the best place to be, right? So I really want to talk about that in the book. I talk about that, like um, where you are from. Yeah. Queer home. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if your spouse is trans or the person you care about is trans and they're in the medical system, I want people to be able to read this and, and say like, oh, these are some of the things I would never think about. I would never have to worry about my ID matching the sex. I would never have to worry about someone assuming I'm on testosterone when I'm not. Or assuming that Kate had had a double mastectomy because they had breast cancer, when it's like, no, Kate got a double mastectomy with no family history, had breast cancer two years later out of nowhere. You know, and it really changes how people treat you and see you. And then going through it yourself, the hardship and the frustration of advocating for yourself while a patient, just not a good time. It's also all during COVID, right? All of this is COVID except for dad. So I really want trans people to read it and not feel alone is my main. I want my siblings to read this and see themselves. But I also want people who have trans people in their lives and who love trans people to read this. I want medical professionals to read it. I want people who, you know, just want to learn and and be better at supporting marginalized folks to read it and kind of go, okay, cool. But it's always, um, my work is always for people like me, not for the people who aren't. Yeah. Preach. How would you describe the difference between advocating for someone you love and advocating for yourself? Oh my God. Advocating for someone you love is easier personally because it's outside of you. I think we as humans are much better at like protecting someone we love And also you're not the one who's sick, right? You're not the one who's tired. You're not the one on drugs. You're not the one uh, with 78 doctors. You know, you haven't gotten your blood taken 17 times that day. Um, So you have more, you have more spoons. When you're the one who's in the hot seat, you know, you're like high and scared and are like, no, that's not, you know, it's just so workroom for a dreamy, you know, it's nightmare. Like when you're looking at someone you love sitting in that chair and you, you can say to yourself, I think I know what they need. When you are sitting in that chair and you're a little impaired, whether that be through just fear or anything, it's very difficult to have the energy to get well and to be well and also advocate. You have to, you really have to choose. In my experience, I had to, like I left the hospital two days after brain surgery because I did not feel safe. I was supposed to be there for six days. Wow. Yeah, you have to choose. And this is Canada, right? Like this is like a public medical system where like everyone's treated equally, da 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 da. Like it's just really, um... and everyone's trying their best, right? It's also COVID. So you're trying to be generous and understanding. Right. 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 So it's, it's, um, you know, David Kessler talks a lot about this in his books on grief and it's, you know, the needs of the dying or the needs of, of, uh, terminally ill people. 
you just need to be heard usually. Mm. It's when we don't feel heard in these situations that the, the psychological damage gets really great. And most of my path the last two years has been letting go. I could be angry about so many things for the rest of my life. That's not, that's not who I am and it's not who I want to be. You know, we can all look at the lack or the, the, how people didn't show up or how they did, you know, we could, we could ruminate on the negative forever, but I'd rather ruminate on the experience and suggest some positive movement and kind of, I'd rather witness it and offer it and then maybe offer some ways to change so we can move forward and evolve. And for me, that is part of decolonizing, right? It's like, okay, here's the system we have. Here's how it's not working. How can we witness that, reflect on that, and then change? I can't help but to hear you as a producer as well. And that's like such a like good producer mentality on set, right? Because there is just such uh, an easy uh, ability to sit and marinate on everything that's going wrong. When ultimately the idea is yes, and <laughs> we need to move forward. So how do we take what we have here and evolve it in a way that's helpful and going to accomplish the goals? Um, so, yeah. And how does True North change? North Star, whatever you want to call it, you know, like, because people ask me a lot about, you know, I talk about calling. I don't know what the call is. I still don't know. If you're like, Laura, what's your calling? It has something to do with spirituality and creativity. Other than that, right? Like, and that could be a thousand things. But I, I think maybe like the phone is closer. <laughs> That's about it. The phone is closer. I can hear it a bit better now. I let go of all my producing projects this year, which was like a big shift and really scary because I've created an entire career as a producer. And I, you know, and I'm sure I disappointed people, right? I'm sure people were like, oh, you're not gonna make my movie anymore. Like, do you not, do you no longer think this is worthy to tell or, right? Like there were so many things and it, it's not that, it's just, I'm finally gonna tell my stories, which is very scary. <laughs> well, yeah, but I feel like just even over the last two years, your life has been kind of screaming at you, it sounds like. Yeah, big time. Well, in the presence of the spirit of death, who has kind of moved into a very proximal space in your life, and that changes how we live. So I kind of want to ask you, like, what is your relationship like these days with the spirit of death? Close. Um, <laughs> close. You know, I love the fall. This is the part of me that's like endlessly Canadian, like seasons are really necessary for me. Like I love LA, but the lack of seasons always kind of messes me up. Like I want to see leaves falling. I want to see snow. I want. Come over. We got trees. We got trees with the leaves falling all over the place. <laughs> I want snow. Okay, uh, that we can't, that we can't give you. Yeah, exactly. But I, um, my relationship with death, I think. It's a pairing at this stage, truly. You know, I think of the two of pentacles often. I think that we're changed in death now are much closer to me because people will say, oh, I'm afraid of change. And I tend to now hear that as death, mm. right? Mm. I'm afraid of letting go of a thing. And for me, 
you know, and it really, this experience really has brought so many people to me asking questions about death, asking about my relationship with death. It's just a pal I hang out with. It's a pal that comes with me every day in every situation. And it has allowed me to sit more comfortably than I ever have before because I'm no longer holding on to the grains of sand. Yeah. Like I think like even my, even before I came out here a few weeks ago, my little kitty cat, my little familiar 12 years, you know, has been with me through everything was sick. I was like, Oh man, are you going to kick it to you? Fucker? Like <laughs> <laughs> everything else is my familiar going to peace out, yeah. but also fine. Right. As much as that would be devastating. And I love him and he's my little dude. Three years ago, that would have like really stressed me out and gutted me and probably consumed me. Now it's like, you know what, but if it's your time to go, like, I also believe that we are given the people we need in the moment, right? Cade came in for a very short physical time in my life, but the tale of it, the T-A-I-L and T-A-L-E of it will be one of the greatest of my life. And so same thing, right? If this little kitty cat needed to be here for this part, but maybe someone else needs to come in. Maybe there's a golden retriever in my future, you know, that needs to come in and love me. Death keeps you open in that way, in my experience. When it feels like death is like such an immense teacher of life, yeah. you know, it's like you, the closer your relationship to death, the closer your relationship becomes to life as well, right? And being here and um, because you've so beautifully shared about your relationship with Cade, what did, what did Kay teach you most about life? That EDM music is appropriate at any time of the day. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. So annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goddess. They just, Rufus to soul. That one and Rufus to soul. Um, 8 a.m.? <laughs> honestly, I am here for that. Oh my God. The little Gemini moon Scorpio rising brain, just like, Eight o'clock in the morning, headphones on, just like they were a morning person. Six a.m., just like, oh my gosh! And it, it like there's a levity, right? They just had such a childlike levity, and music really brought that out in them. So I certainly like even today, I was just listening to some like '80s divas and '90s divas just dancing around. They really brought that to me. But I mean, listen, Cade was many people's favorite person and many people's guru and many people's um, moral compass, which was very hard when they passed. You know, Cade was really the person who would call everyone else who were kind of in the shit and say, cool, but what's your part? You know, like, okay, you're really hurt, but like, how are you continuing a negative relationship? Or they were a real reality check for a lot of people. So to lose them, you know, 30 people were just swept off a cliff and a lot didn't behave super well, is what I would say. Certainly not in like a Cade motif, if you will. And um, Cade really taught me, and the experience with all of this really taught me that other people's interpretation of your relationship or your experience means nothing. Mm. You know, there's, I think... I can only imagine how difficult it is to find out your child, sibling, friend, sponsor, um, 
went into the woods was from some stranger <laughs> and now has cancer and is dying. And three weeks later, they're gone. And then to accept me as this person's like number one person. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I would have dealt with it particularly well if I was any of those folks. And it was really hard for them and thusly really hard for me. And I certainly spent a lot of time really not devaluing, but certainly questioning my relevance or place um, proximity to them and to their story and to their life. And at every turn, it just became very, you know, they have these Oracle cards that they always use that I've kept these like butterfly cards that were given to them. So I pull a card from them every day, just like obnoxiously, just like, who cares what the people think? I love you. And I was like, okay, right. <laughs> you know, they really taught me how to stand in the strength of my own experience and to not let other stories or voices really affect that. And that's hard. Especially when your experience is not the experience that we are raised to understand as the normal one. Totally. Which leads me kind of beautifully to my desire to kind of draw you out a little bit on your gender journey. Sure. But, but also within a larger context that I think everyone should be allowed to take their own gender journey. Because even if you don't have any sense of not entirely belonging with how you're identified, mm -hmm. there is, I think, such a large space that we can inhabit as beings. Mm -hmm. And very few of us, with the exception of, of queer people, really get to explore that. And so my hope is that by drawing you out on your gender journey, more people will have the courage and the curiosity to explore their own expansion in that way. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and thank you for that, because when we talk about gender, you know, when we talk about cisness and transness, um, you know, when we picture, um, you know, cisgender folks, the definition is simply you came out and someone said, it's a boy, it's a girl. And you grew <laughs> up and you said, yes. Yes, totally. That's it. That's the whole definition. Trans is everything else. And, and that's, trans women, that's trans men, that's trans non-binary people, that's genderless people, that's agender, that's i-gender. And, and trans women aren't just cis passing women. Trans men aren't just cis, right? Like there's this entire spectrum. And I think to your point is it's like, the second you kind of put the dichotomy of cis and trans, all the queers on the trans side have all this space to be feminine in this way, masculine in this way, and to mess it up. And for it to be physical changes, if you want, for it to be hormonal changes, if you want, for it to just be fashion changes. or And then the cis side of the spectrum is still really caught in that, you know, if you are cis, if you are a cis woman, it is this. If you are a cis man, it is this. And it's just so unfortunate because like you still get to be cis and have a gender journey. Your version of cis gets to be different from that version of cis and that version, right? Like, because what we're looking at here is definitions of gender, which is all made up, not real, <laughs> right? What is a woman? What is a man? What does that friggin' mean, right? You know, look at the three of us, right? There are qualities that we share and qualities we don't share, but yet people are going to define us differently. And so for me, gender 
and I, I totally attribute my parents with this. I have incredible, incredible parents. My mother um, has worked with people living with HIV AIDS her whole life. So I was around queer folks probably since I was, you know, in vitro. Um, and so queerness was very easy and accessible to me. Uh, and my dad was an absolute hippie who like, there was no homophobia, transphobia. Like it was very, very open. And so I never grew up feeling I needed to be anything like that was never on the table. And it wasn't so much that I didn't feel like a woman, but I really railed against gender expectations. Mm-hmm. And my father was very big in that, you know, he was even um, a few years before he passed, he was big in community sports and he would send me these like speeches he would be making like, uh, I don't know, they got some new land to make a ball field or something. And he would always degender the language. He would always, always degender it. And since I was little, he would do that. Like they'd be like, you know, the land for the baseball boys. And he would always degender it and made such a, such a point of case about that. And I don't know if anyone really caught it as much as I, it just meant so much to me, right. To watch a, you know, seven year old man in the nineties and, and uh, 2000s, just be like, no, that's not it. If this isn't for everyone, what are we doing? Um, and so I got to really live in that space. And there was, I was, you know, I'm one of four kids. And so I think for me, when I moved away from home and I'd been dating queerly, <laughs> I, we can swear on this podcast, right? We guys, we swear. Oh, we can absolutely sure. swear on this podcast. There's this really funny thing that I'll probably write something about someday. And it's called like, do I want to fuck you or do I want to be you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think oh, that's part of everyone's yeah. journey. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's so true. Yeah. Right? Like all of the like more mask lesbians, because that's where we were in the 90s, right? That I was meeting and like attracted to. It's like, do I want to fuck you or do I want to be you? Yeah, I always experienced like the shame that would come along with that. Like I was attracted to people. I also like wanted to look like them. And then mixed in with that as well was the shame that I didn't have that like ideal body or style or what have you, which is very complicated. Right? I too, I, I promise you, like every 18 year old to 25 year old is like, hmm, right? Like, what is that moment? And so I started meeting people who were women, but more mask of center. And I was like, okay, I like this. But then I also started meeting masculine people who are femme of center. And I was like, okay, I like that too. Um, You know, what is that? What is that space in my twenties? Being a beautiful woman. There's a lot of cachet, right? And so I really, I've been, I dated primarily men. I dated six men named Mark. Wait, what? What? Six men named Mark? I'm going to make something called Mark My Words. It'll be a gender through Marks. My God, I see. Yes, that's amazing. (laughs) It's like she's got to have it, but with marks. Um, Gosh, I love that. My God. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine loving the experience of that in real time, but I love the creative (laughs) idea of it. (laughs) A lot, a lot of marks. When I, once I moved to Toronto and I went to the Canadian Film Center and I did that program there, somewhere in my late twenties or even like 30, I just wanted to, oh, and it was, this was exactly when I left my family as well. It was the last, it was the last couple of years of continuing in a space that kept me um, in negative patterns. And once I kind of 
um, started to see that more and started to pull back and hold back from it and hold my resources back, I think I just had more of a more time to, to say to myself, like, who am I? And so I made a little silly short doc called haircut where I shaved my head in the doc in real time. And that experience changed my life. Truly. I think I was like 31 then. Um, and the way that people treated me differently, um, the queer community had never loved me more. Uh, men had never been more confused. Uh, funders had never been more worried about my mental health. Like it was a real, I couldn't believe it. I could, but for a femme to shave their head just, just seemed nuts to so many people. I'm sure the mar all the marks lost it. All the marks lost it. They were like, you used to be hot. <laughs> so many people, like that was a response, right? But you're so beautiful. Why would you do that? Um, still beautiful. Okay. And so it sent me down. It sent me down. You know, it was a little, definitely a little Alice in Wonderland. I don't think I understood. I think I kind of knew what I was doing. It's like, uh, you know, the scene in the movie when they cut their hair and they're like, I know what I'm doing, but they don't. It was really like that. I was like, I'm doing this, not understanding what was going to be on the other side of that. And it just took cis-het-ness. Um, it's almost like, you know, when we talk about uh, the court cards, you know, like I truly took an outfit off for the first time in 31 years. And was like, who am I without this outfit that I've had on for 31 years? If, if I'm not accessing things because of this privilege and this privilege and this privilege, if I'm not super aligned with cisness and cis feminine, hyper femininity, what space am I creating now that I haven't before? And things just kind of started to shift. And I started feeling more comfortable and more, more grateful and there's this beautiful thing that happens in queer community. I don't know a single trans person who at one point in time has not said to themselves, am I trans enough? Am I uh, like, uh, or like even queerness, right? Am I gay enough? Yeah. How many, have I, have I kissed enough, fucked enough, worn enough eyeliner, gone to enough protests, signed in, right? Like this enough piece that wow. is so dangerous and so based in capitalism, right? Because it's about acquiring. Right. Um, well, and also, as I am coming to understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, also this overemphasis on destination. Yes. Whereas my understanding of just transness in general is it's really more about what you're moving away from as opposed to what you're moving towards. And just the opportunity to like move away from the expectations of your biological gender or to move away from the reflection that you get from your family about how you're supposed to behave. It's, it's that liminal space. This is it. Which, which is where you live, my love, you know, like in terms of working with people who are dying or this liminal space that scares so many people because if we're going to jump off the cliff, we don't want to spend too much time falling. We just want to, be caught or land. And we'll spend a lot of time talking about the parachute. Okay, oh. but there is a parachute. And what does the parachute look like? And when will the parachute go? So how many seconds will I be in? <laughs> and it's like, that's not it. And, and it's, um, and because the thing is, we're always falling. Oh, totally. 
from the moment we're born until the moment we die, it's a liminal space. Yeah. Falling. And I think that for me, I, and this is what I love about coming onto shows like the show I'm on now, you know, I'm the only, I'm very purposely brought in as a trans um, perspective. And my favorite conversation to have with people is just about queering spaces. And, you know, when, when straight cis folks, people who think they have nothing to do with queerness, are met with that concept. They're like, but I'm not sexually or genderly queer. It's like, that's not what it is. And this back to, this is all decolonizing, right? Gender spaces, like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? But for me, queering spaces is about how has this been done previously? What systems of oppression are we resting upon here? And how are we, how are we done with it? How are we moving forward? And so my gender expression is one thing, my gender is another thing. And for me, the, the I don't know if goal is the right word, but a, a important point for me is, yeah, there's no destination here. And even if someone's destination is top surgery, bottom surgery, uh, hormones, that doesn't end, a, you know what I mean? Like that's not it. Once you get top surgery, you're not like, I, I captain. Like that's not <laughs> it. Right. Yeah. right? It's, there's no, the Virgo, there is no checklist for this. It really is the Piscean feeling of this nebulous space. And it's, my journey with queerness has certainly been, um, and I, I'm also like pansexual as well, right? So for me, it's really all bets are off. Like, are you awesome? You know, I've dated all genders, all peoples. And I think that either the death doula inspired that or that, you know what I mean? It really is about how are we taking the, the structures away, whether that be through gender or spirituality or filmmaking or whatever it is. And I just try to approach things through a lens um, of receiving as well. I'm trying to receive more than um, present. Will you tell the children about the fun you're doing with Sea Witch Magic and yes. how they can oh my God. how they can join you in all of that? Yes. Okay. So, part of the last few years of like, I'm gonna say centering myself because that sounds awful. Uh, over the last few years, I finally uh, accepted that uh, I can do readings and I can um, participate. I have learned many modalities of healing techniques and spiritualities, and now I'm finally uh, open for people to access that energy through me. Um, so I just created a little Instagram page called See Witch Magic. Um, there's like six posts. It's nothing elaborate. It's just a landing page for people to contact me to get it away from my personal Instagram. It's just at See Witch Magic. Um, and I do tarot readings and astrology readings. Um, but I'm also like, if people want to, I have lots of people reaching out about um, consulting on like death doula stuff or like um, people will ask me to come in and educate on trans um, issues or points of views or like some wrote me recently about story editing a script. Like I'm getting so many different uh, strings, tethers mm-hmm. or just like uh, moon magic or so it's just a place to kind of like come and be in touch Um and I just started it a few months ago and I just kind of like put it up to say like, what would happen? It was all very overwhelming. I guess a lot of emails and was like, oh, I, 
I'm going to do a couple more readings next week and then I'm going to do some new year's readings, but the door, the door is open. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. But yeah, it's a whole new thing, but it's exciting too, to see that like, what has like, that you deemed it magic and all of these other things kind of fell under it that are all part of your, your magical tools, toolbox, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's what I wanted it to be. I didn't want it to be one thing or another. Um, and, and honestly, the tell you know, like, I am a better human when I'm giving readings, you know, like when I spend the day and do three or four tarot readings, like I feel so connected that day. I feel so in flow that day. I, you know, have dinner that night in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. And so the reciprocity of it um, is a huge part of my life now. I think you've picked up the phone, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're on the phone. I'm pretty sure you're on the phone. Oh my God. That's, that's a nodal return, right? Yeah, I think so. Seriously. Well, Laura, obviously we could talk to you for like another two hours and just like scratch the surface of things. So maybe we'll get to do a part two at some point. But I just want to thank you so much for your vulnerability, your authenticity, and like honestly, God has blessed that Leo rising because you really exemplify how to use it in like a great way. Yeah. Thank you so much for just like blessing all of our listeners with this conversation. And it's really an honor to have like taught you, but also to be learning from you and just to be in each other's orbit. You're so sweet. I love you too so much. You, I will never, ever be able to repay you or, or put words to the place that you have held in my life, in my relationship with Kate, in Kate's life. Yeah. It's an absolute glorious time. This relationship is really a very powerful one. I'm very, very pleased we have it. Well, us too. So thank you. Now onwards we go. All right, everybody. So we are going to pull our card for the episode with Laura present. So that way we can have access to their magic as well. So just take a moment. We're all going to connect to the cards by listening in to the sound of them being shuffled. Just take a couple of nice deep breaths. If it's safe where you are to close your eyes, I encourage you to do that. And just trusting that this card will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. The card is the fool. Direct. <laughs> I mean, how perfect falling and well yeah i mean literally just the symbology of somebody on the edge of a cliff getting ready to fall but i think the fool really is the embodiment of the idea that it's just journey there's no destination it's all just enjoy the liminal space and the fool because there isn't this sense of like right or wrong or good or bad or masculine or feminine it's all just experience and joy and just being present for the encounter and meeting what's there. So I think that this is a great message for everyone right now to embrace what's there with joy. And I think when we come up against difficulty, it's because we're not actually meeting what's there sometimes. Like what's there is challenging our expectations, our assumptions, our old stories. So maybe see where you can be 
a little less cluttered in the way that you approach the encounter? Well, even before I say anything more, thank you again for taking the time to be with us. So, so grateful to have you in our lives and our community and our space. Um, and excited for everyone to find you. So if they do want to find you, what, what would be the ideal? Oh, just find me at See Which Magic on Instagram. See Which Magic. That's where I am. Yeah. All right. Get there. Um, all right. Cool. And then, of course, if you want to find out anything about us, uh, really the best destination is our website, thespiritualgaze.com. You can find out everything we have going on there. Um, but of course, if you want to find us on Instagram, it's at the Spiritual Gaze, Twitter, Spiritual Gaze, Facebook, the Spiritual Gaze, all the social medias. We are there for you. Until next time, this has been your transit through the, the Spiritual, Spiritual Gaze. Gaze.